It is a privilege for me to be here. Um, I typically do worship at uh, 33, and um, I, uh, my job is, is that I'm a regional director for a small group of churches um, that are not um, part of our church family here. Uh, this is called Associated Gospel Churches, and so we just live here and then worship at 33. Uh, my wife attends there regularly. I attend very irregularly because I'm on the road about 50% of the time. And so, um, uh, as part of that, I just travel and work with the, this group of churches. I go across our four western provinces from Manitoba across here to BC and uh, with our pastors and our churches trying to help out and do what I can to uh, assist them. And so then uh, Willow Park goes my home church and uh, I get to speak from time to time at our different campuses. And so I haven't been at Creekside here for quite some time, but I have spoke here previously um, quite some time ago, but uh, it's a joy to be here to help out Jeremy today. So there, I'm off again. I'm off again. I'm off again. Am I going to get back on again? I will. I'm on. I'm good. Okay. As long as I'm on. All right. So uh, it is my joy and privilege, though, to be here this morning. And um, when Jeremy gave me this passage, uh, I read it, of course, and then I wasn't very happy with Jeremy. Um, because uh, once you see the passage this morning and uh, get a chance to look at it, you'll perhaps understand why I wasn't very happy with him. Um, as was read earlier by our fine young man who read it, uh, it talks about hypocrisy. And so I could sum up very quickly and say, don't be a hypocrite, that way we can go and have soup. That would be the essence of the message this morning. But we're going to be a little longer than that uh, in just a few moments as we look at Peter and Paul, who of course were the early church leaders. Those two men were the key guys in the early church. And uh, believe it or not, they didn't always get along. Amazing, Right? Two men in the church who didn't always get along. Of course, that never happens in today's church. Everybody always gets along with each other. Um, yes, amen. There we go. That's the truth right there. No, it's not the truth. Um, we do have times when we don't get along with each other. But uh, when I looked at this passage, I thought, wow, it would have been fun. I would love if there was some video from the early church watching these guys, these two really um, A-type personalities, these two power brokers, these two guys who were incredible leaders. I would have loved to have seen it when these two guys faced off with each other and um, didn't get along. It would have been great. I would have loved to have been a fly in the wall just sitting back going, well, this is going to be interesting as Peter and Paul faced off with each other and Paul was calling him out on his hypocrisy, which is what we're going to look at here this morning. But um, uh, let me pray for us as we dive into these few short verses uh, in this fascinating little book of Galatians, which is a great book, um, and uh, just see what God's got for us as we look at these few short verses this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the, the Word of God. We thank you that you um, gave it to us, that you gave us these, these, um, these books, these, uh, this way that you wanted to reveal yourself to us. And you've um, given us your hearts. You've given us this, this way to um, show us then how to, how to conduct ourselves and given us this very honest glimpse of, in the New Testament, the, the revelation of the early church. Um, not a, not a um, sort of a, a perfect, uh, all was well, all the time sort of idea, but gave us this honest revelation of how the early church functioned and, and and it wasn't all good all the time and and Peter and Paul here in this passage just are, are it's a truthful picture 
And Father, it helps us then to understand that, hey, we're not always going to get it all right all the time either. And so sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking that the church is supposed to be a perfect place all the time. And, and yeah, ideally that would be great, but then there's, there's a reality. The reality is, is that the church never has been. And until you come back, Father, uh, send your son back for us, we're not always uh, going to be perfect all the time. And so it's helpful for us. But in the midst of that, there's this beautiful picture, as we sang this morning, of grace and how that's supposed to work its way in. And so help us, Lord, as we look through these few verses to be reminded of the ideal of, of um, the truth of the gospel. And yet the reality is that sometimes we don't get it right and, and we need grace. And so um, as we work our way through this passage, may we find the balance of truth and grace in the midst of this. And, and Lord, I just ask for your help and your spirit to teach us this morning because we need that for sure. And we ask for all of this in the name of, the, the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, um, we pray. Amen. Part of the beautiful thing about my job is that I do get to travel and uh, I get to reconnect with people that I've known over the years of my life of service as a pastor. And so recently I was in the town of Cochrane, Alberta, and I got to see one of the former um, chairmen that I worked with, a guy named Bill, who I loved dearly. And Bill was one of those guys who wasn't afraid at all to confront you if you got things wrong, which uh, when he was my chairman, <laughs> when I got things wrong, unfortunately, Bill was, uh, he was a close talker. You know what a close talker is? One of those guys that gets right up this close, and I don't like those guys who get that close. But Bill didn't care. He would get that close to you. And, and uh, there was times in the church foyer when I was pastoring in the church in Saskatoon that if I was uh, on a Sunday morning, I had gotten something wrong early in the week, and Bill was going to confront me, he would get, you know, it's like, why couldn't he get this way and talk to me? But no, Bill would get this close to me. I loved him anyway. And so uh, we reconnected in Cochrane, and uh, we're having lunch just a few weeks ago, and Bill was, uh, he was relieved to get together with me because he was looking after grandchildren that particular uh, day and left him with his wife. And so uh, he was, it was great. And so he was happy to have lunch with me, and so we sat down and talked, and uh, we were just going over life and reconnecting with each other. And so he tells me how um, his four-year-old grandson, uh, he was just having uh, a story time with him, and he's telling him the story, and, and partway through the story, his four-year-old grandson says to him, Grandpa, is this story true? And the truth was, the story wasn't true. And so Bill tries to bluster his way through, and Bill was a very good blusterer, and he still is a good blusterer. And so uh, he keeps on sort of plodding through the story, and his four-year-old grandson says, interrupts him again and says, Grandpa, is this story true? And Bill doesn't want to answer that question. And so he kind of uh, keeps going with the story. And his grandson puts his hands up and he says to him, Grandpa. He stops him. And uh, he asks him the question point blank. And he says, Grandpa, is this story true or not? And Grandpa kind of asks sort of, you know, like, well, why is he asking me? He asks him, like, why are you asking this question? And his grandson says to him, Last Sunday, in Sunday school, our Sunday school teacher told us that we're either telling the truth or we're telling a lie. And if we're not telling the truth, then we're telling a lie. And so, Grandpa, if the story you're telling me isn't true, then it's a lie. <laughs> and you know where things are going. And Grandpa isn't liking much of the story that now his grandson's leading him down the trail to. 
And he says, Grandpa, are you telling me the truth or are you telling me a lie? And so I says to Bill, I says, so how things go from there? Bill says, I changed the topic. <laughs> he, he didn't want to go any further with the story because he says, well, how do you argue with my four-year-old's Sunday school teacher? He says, I, I don't want to debate with the Sunday school teacher because he says the Sunday school teacher's right. I said, well, he's for sure the Sunday school teacher's right. We either are telling a truth or we're telling a lie. And uh, if you're telling a lie, well, then what are you? And so Bill goes on to say, well, he says, well, you know, you're a liar or a hypocrite. I said, well, that's exactly right. And then when Jeremy gave me this topic, I thought about that story. That uh, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Galatians chapter 2 this morning. And um, we're going to see how Paul calls out Peter for this very reason. Because Peter was being a hypocrite. And if we're not going to be truth tellers and we're going to be liars, well, then we're actually being hypocrites in the process of being uh, followers of Jesus, which is really not very helpful to the call of being followers of Jesus. So let's go over the passage again this morning, which we read just a few moments ago, and see what we've got. And we're going to look at just two key points in the passage, I think, this morning for us to follow here um, together. So chapter 2, verse 11, it says, When Peter came to Antioch, Paul writing, and he says, I opposed him to his face. Now, again, I would just love if I had video of that to be able to show us. Uh, it would be fantastic to see. Because he was clearly in the wrong. You know, Paul's writing the letter, but I wish we had sort of Peter's letter. We don't. All we have is Paul's side of things, which is what Scripture has for us in uh, Galatians. 12, it says, Before certain men came from James... He used to, that's Peter, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, these men, he began, that's Peter, to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles um, because he was afraid of those who had belonged to the circumcision group, who belonged to the circumcision group. Verse 13, the other Jews joined him, joined Peter, in his hypocrisy, he word for the day, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Another key point in the whole picture. Verse 14. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, another key point for the message in just a few moments, I said to Peter in front of them all, another key part of the message that we're going to look at, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? All right. So, we're going to see a number of clear things here, but the first point, if you're taking notes at all for our uh, study there this morning, is that the problematic actions of Peter, verses 11 through to 13, the problematic actions of Peter. Peter is a key leader. That's important for us to understand. So this isn't uh, a new convert. This isn't someone who doesn't know better. This isn't someone who is uh, new to the faith. This isn't someone who's trying to figure things out from a Christian standpoint. This is a guy who does and should know better. So we have the problematic actions of a key leader in the early church. So why was Peter in the wrong here in what he was doing? Verse 12 explains it to us. Scholars tell us that when these, uh, the phrase that uh, would be used is these Judaizers, these guys who um, come into the region where Peter had been and was doing great. He was um, 
uh, uh, Peter was a Jew who had converted to, to Christianity, and he was eating with the Gentiles, which again, you go back into the context of this situation, and uh, this was revolutionary, because for Jews to eat with Gentiles back in that day was, uh, was a, a huge thing. Uh, it was great because uh, it, it showed that um, their lives had been transformed. Uh, Peter's life had been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The truth of the gospel had made a big impact upon him. And, and he was living in a way that showed that impact because he was now eating with the Gentiles. Previous to that, Jews had nothing to do with Gentiles. They were considered uh, unclean. You would not go near them if you were a Jewish person. But now Christ had entered his life, had transformed him. And that is seen by evidence by how he's living his life. But now... Um, when these men had come and Peter began to revert back to his previous way of thinking that Jews would have nothing to do with Gentiles. And this was a problem. And scholars say that this was a slow process for Peter probably. Once this group arrived, Peter was now afraid of offending them. Because what they'd done is that they had sort of added the law into their Christian beliefs. And so kind of like, well, we need Christ's death on the cross plus the law. So we, we've got faith in Christ. That's great. But then we add the law on top of that, which isn't great. So we have faith. That's good. But then we start adding things to the faith. That's not good. So Peter was, was slowly being impacted by them. And so it wasn't this uh, immediate thing that take place, the scholars tell us, but it was a slow process of being impacted by them. And Peter was afraid of offending them. And so he slowly started only hanging out with these Jewish converts, these Judaizers. And uh, he would then, what scholars say was that he would probably find excuses. So he'd get invited out by the, the Gentile Christians there in, um, in that area. And, uh, you know, he would say, uh, oh, my, no, I don't think I can come over today. And previously, it would be fine with going over to their place. No problem hanging out with them because that was the mix that had been going on, which is a good thing, that they'd be having fellowship together because that was a normal part of their faith, their connection, their fellowship, which was great. It was a testimony to the transforming work of Christ in their lives, Jews and Gentiles mixing together, which was a fantastic testimony to the community of the, the difference that Christ makes in their lives. But now this was something different that was going on. He would find excuses. Back in Mark chapter 14, we see how bold Peter had once been. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. I want to read part of that passage. Mark chapter 14, verse 29 to 31, we read about the boldness of Peter. Chapter 29 says, Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. And Jesus answered, he says, I tell you the truth, today, yes, tonight, even before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. All the others said the same. And so Peter had been so bold that was the kind of personality that Peter was. We know that by reading the Gospels, that Peter had that kind of attitude, that sort of boldness about him. Even if all fall away, not me, Peter says. And then we jump over to the same chapter, chapter 14, verses 66 to 71, and we see the outcome of what took place. In chapter 14, verse 66, it says, Well, Peter was below in the courtyard. One of the servant girls of the high priest came by, 
And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. And she said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus, she said. But Peter denied it. I don't know him. Or I don't, or understand what you, I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the entranceway. And when the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. And again, Peter denied it. And after a little while, there, those standing near said to Peter, surely you are one of them. You're a Galilean. And he began to call down curses on himself. And he swore to them, I don't know this man that you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. And then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and he wept. Peter had that ability to be so bold. Then also he had that weakness to rise to the heights of clear boldness but then also to have that weakness of character to descend down into denying Jesus. And you know, let's not be too hard on Peter because I think we all have that ability to, to at times make those statements of, of, yeah, I'll do this, but then not follow through and shy away and not do the very thing that we said that we were going to do. Peter is a, a great example in the scriptures of, of rising to certain heights, but then coming down and not following through. So the problematic actions of Peter are seen in verses 11 to through, through to 13. They're seen in his character in Mark chapter 14. Peter is afraid of what people would think. He was fearful. But I think, you know what, I, I too have been fearful at times, wondering what people are going to think of me been afraid that if I do this, what are people actually going to think about me? Or the opposite. I'm hanging out with non-Christian friends and wondering, well, what if I look too spiritual when I'm hanging out with those who are not of the faith? What if I look too much like a Christian? It can work both ways from this hypocritical aspect of things. Well, let's address this from a couple of angles. First of all, Peter, Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, and he said to Timothy, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. And Timothy must have struggled with this whole fearful aspect of things as well, because Paul writes and he says to him, Timothy, you don't have a spirit of fear. We actually have a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. And the other angle that we look at is this one in Mark chapter 7 when Jesus is addressing the Pharisees who were huge on ritual and formalism. And the Pharisees had watched and, and they thought that um, they were going to catch Jesus. And so in Mark chapter 7, they, they asked Jesus this, uh, this question. They want to catch him. And so in Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 6, they, they think they've really got him. And so Mark chapter 7, we read these words. It says in verse 5, So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders and instead of eating their food with unclean hands? And Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. He's talking about how the Pharisees were so big on, on being ritualistic and rules focused. He says, they worship me in vain and their teachings are rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. 
And he said to them, you have a fine way of settling aside, setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father and mother must be put to death. But you say that if man says to his father and if a man says to his father and mother, whoever whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corban, that is a gift devoted to God. And then you no longer let him do anything for his father and mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your traditions that you have handed down, and you do many things like this. And again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone who understands this, nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. And what Jesus was simply saying to them was that, you know what, you guys are so concerned about the outward appearances. You are so concerned about looking from the outside. And what Jesus was pointing to is, he says, it's the heart. It's the motive that is always going to be what I and what my father are going to be looking at. And I think we look at the church today, sometimes we can get all caught up about the rules or the, the appearances on the outside. How are we appearing to others? Versus what's actually going on inside? What's driving us? What's motivating us? What are we looking as to the driving factor of how our Father is being honored and glorified? Or are we more concerned about what it actually appears like? The other dangerous part of Peter's hypocrisy was that it led others astray. That's what we find in verse 13. It says, the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, verse 13, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. And, and we're not islands, we're a family. You see, God designed the church to be a family. And that's why the story at the beginning was important. My friend, Grandpa Bill, he, he wasn't an island to himself as he was telling his story. Um, little ears were listening and they were wondering, well, is it okay to tell stories that aren't true? Is it okay to actually lie? And they were wondering and they were calling Grandpa, well, is the story true or is it a lie? And decisions were going to be made because of a life and an example. And that could make an impact on other lives. And that's the way it should be. Peter's hypocrisy, we are told in verse 13, was leading others astray, including Barnabas. And a little history here is that Barnabas had been a number, on a number of missionary journeys with Paul. Barnabas was one of the first church leaders to accept and come to the help of Paul. Barnabas had a had heard Paul preach, and he was not a young Christian, so when he was led astray by this hypocrisy, it was no small thing. It wasn't like Barnabas was a young believer. It wasn't like he was a guy that could be easily influenced. Barnabas was a mature believer. And so when Peter was actually leading Barnabas astray, he was leading a mature man astray. And Paul comes to the point and he says, no, this is enough. We are not islands unto ourselves. And so Paul becomes concerned. And so Paul decides to act. And so what we have is, we have the inappropriate actions of Peter, and then we have the appropriate actions of Paul in verse 14, the second part of our outline. 
And in verse 14, we read this. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all. Boy, that's quite something. That is quite something. Paul noticed that their actions, that, Paul, that Peter's actions and the others did not line up with the truth of the gospel. So he acted by confrontation. But notice the process, though. Understand the process. Peter's actions were public and well-known. He had formerly eaten with the Gentiles. He had formerly associated with everybody that was part of that church family at that point in time. And then slowly over a process of time, he began to simply associate with those who were of a Jewish background. He no longer associated with all of the people in that church gathering. Those who were of Gentiles, he said, no, I, I don't have time. I don't want to associate with them anymore. He made a public decision to have nothing to do with those who are of a Gentile background. He became elitist, if you will, by only associating with those of a Jewish background. It was public. It was clearly seen. We of a Jewish background fellowship with only those of a Jewish background. Gentiles stay with them, was Peter's way of looking at things and showing things. It was public. It was clearly seen. So because of that, and that these weren't just new converts, these weren't just new People. These were well-known leaders, Peter, Barnabas, others that were mature men. Then because they were clear leaders, then Paul steps in to act and says, I'm going to publicly confront them. Please understand the process. Notice that again, not because um, I, I want you to understand this isn't an isolated case either. Um, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 20, we've got another case where Paul addresses um, leaders who needed to be confronted. In 1 Timothy 5, verse 20, Paul says to Timothy, that those who sin, he's talking about elders here, in particular leaders, those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that others may take warning. But he's talking about leaders again, okay? He's talking about leaders. So he says to his young leader, Timothy, that when leaders do things that are wrong, they need to be rebuked publicly to so understand the situation. So we're not... We need to see clear that we don't run around and hunt for people that as soon as they're doing something wrong, well, we want to be rebuking everybody publicly. This isn't the picture of the church. We're not running around like, you know, the TV movies when uh, police see uh, there's a crime that's been committed and you got that little old lady who's sitting in her, her house and she's got the curtains up and, and she's just always watching the neighborhood and police are looking for somebody to give them a tip on who did committed the crime. This isn't the picture of the church. Okay. We're not looking for people who are always hunting to see who's doing something wrong in the church. That's not what Galatians is talking about, so just so we're clear. We're not snooping around to find out who's always doing something wrong in the church. That's not what Galatians 2 is talking about. 
We got it? Good. Because not, it's not Galatians 2, verses 11 through to 14. We're talking about when leaders stray and are doing things that we shouldn't as leaders be doing, then we need to get it right. So Paul says to Peter, I want you to be clear about this, Peter. You are in the wrong, and you are leading others who are in the wrong astray. And so Paul goes to him, he says, we need to rebuke you, and I'm going to rebuke you publicly. It's not right. So was Paul trying to lord it over Peter to show him who was the better apostle? No, not at all. Go back to chapter 1, verse 10 in Galatians. It says, Paul says, am I trying to win the approval of men or of God? Am I trying to please men? If I were trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul wasn't about that. That wasn't Paul's heart. That wasn't the kind of guy that Paul was. We look at verse 14 and we see that Paul clearly is, is crying out for the, the truth of the gospel to be the, the guiding factor of what we're about. He says, when I see that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, this isn't right. We need to get back to the truth of the gospel. So Paul continues to focus on the truth of the gospel. And that's where we as a church family want to be always going. So we're not running around trying to hunt and find people who aren't living right so we can publicly chastise them. That's not the message. Do we make mistakes as people of faith? Yes, we do. And so if you're new here, we want, to, want you to understand that we, whether we're leaders or, or just new to the faith, do we make mistakes? Yeah, we do. We will never ever get it right all the time. And, and that's why I say when Jeremy gave me this passage, I thought, no, I don't want to preach this passage. Because I get it wrong. I make mistakes. We just do. We're, we're followers of Jesus Christ. And, and do we measure up all the time? No. We stumble and we fall and we make mistakes and we, we, we just we mess up. We just do. And so then we repent. That's the beauty of the cross is that we come to the cross and we say, Lord, I'm sorry I messed up again and I ask for forgiveness. And, and do we need brothers and sisters who, will, who do, will confront us? Yes, we need those brothers and sisters who will confront us. Those are good brothers and sisters who will come alongside of us and say, hey, you know what, man? I, I, think, I think I need to talk to you about this. And we cherish those kinds of friendships if we've got those sort of brothers and sisters who do this. Because what's the truth? Well, let's look at some takeaways from this message this morning. One of the takeaways is, is, is that hypocrisy stinks, my friends. Hypocrisy stinks. And you know what? The world will see it. And that's why as a church, we always need to be on our guard against allowing hypocrisy to take root in our church families. We need to be our, in our guard against it. The world can smell it a mile away. And as Christians, we need to deal with it individually and with each other. Let's, let's pick an easy one. We live in an over-sexualized culture. And so within our over-sexualized culture, I mean, one of the ones that, that is, we need to be guarding against is, is that sexualized culture that we, we live in. And so if, if we're struggling with that in our own lives, we, we can't allow that to take root. And so um, pornography, if, if you're struggling with pornography at home, it could be one of those ones that you say, well, well, well nobody knows. 
Well, actually, that's not true because you and the Holy Spirit know. And if you're struggling with it and, and you haven't dealt with it, well, then that's hypocrisy, my friend. So you're living a life of hypocrisy right now if you're at home and you're doing it on a regular basis and you're not struggling or you're not trying to overcome that and you're just comfortable with looking at pornography on a regular basis, that's hypocrisy. If you're allowing that to take root in your home and in your life, and it's hypocrisy. And it stinks. And you need to find some way of battling that and, and saying, no, I'm not going to allow that to take root in my life. And you say, well, nobody knows. Well, yeah, you say nobody knows, but you know and the Holy Spirit knows. And it stinks. And that will be a stumbling block for you in your growth as a follower of Jesus Christ. It will. And it's hypocrisy. Or you have a Christian brother or sister who you know is living with their boyfriend or their girlfriend and they aren't married. Professing to follow Christ, but they aren't living a life of moral purity. That's, that's hypocrisy. Now, again, we don't go running around pointing fingers. That's not what the church is about either. But if we're true followers of Christ and, and we're trying to grow in our faith, well then, we don't want that to be what we're about either. And maybe like Paul, you need to be that good brother or sister. And, and again, you don't rise up and point fingers. So that's not what the message is about. But you then go as a good brother or sister and you sit down with that brother and sister if they're both followers of Christ and you have that conversation with them. And it's tough. Those are hard conversations. But if we're followers of Christ and we're both professing to be followers of Jesus and we're living together, that's hypocrisy, my friend. And that's just a pastoral thing that I'm saying to you that we can't do that and say that we're living a life of moral purity and we're following Jesus. We live in an over-sexualized culture and, and we want to say, well, it's a different time. It is, but the Bible doesn't have room for that. And, and it's a different day and age, I know, but you see that we need to hold to the standard that the Bible has. And Paul's the kind of guy that, that he wouldn't necessarily call you up publicly because you're not in the place of leadership in the church, but that's what Peter was. I'm not saying that we call people publicly and those kinds of things, but privately we go and we have a conversation with them. And we sit down and we say, hey, I need to talk to you about this, and I want to be honest with you. But we also understand that grace is beautiful. And the context of this passage is that Peter was eating with Gentiles, and they were having fellowship at the same table, and that was the table of grace. Jews and Gentiles saved by grace. And Paul was pointing them back to the truth of the gospel, and that is the gospel of grace. It's not easy to live with that, but the gospel of grace is the gospel that is um, messy in many respects. Messy in so many different respects. But it's a wonderful, almost amazing, amazing gospel of grace. And, and so earlier this week, uh, a friend of mine posted this thing on Facebook, and, and I was just amazed by it again because I thought, well, you know, that's the truth. That is just the truth. And he posted this thing. I don't know, maybe you heard this guy. Um, uh, just this guy that um, name's Kanye West. Maybe you heard of him. But um, 
gained a lot of attention recently because of his uh, professed confession of faith in Jesus Christ. And someone had posted this, and, and I love it because of the messiness of the gospel in the midst of the truth of grace and, and all of that. And this person had posted this, and he said, I don't know Kanye West, but if he thinks for one second that calling on the name of Jesus will somehow forgive a lifetime of misogyny, blasphemy, profanity, and sexual immorality, he's absolutely right. And that's the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that it does forgive a lifetime of all of that other stuff. And that's the messiness. So some people are upset that the church is embracing someone like Kanye West because of his previous life. But you see, that's the Jesus that we serve people. And that's the messiness of the gospel and grace. And we call people to a standard, to live according to a standard, and we're willing to forgive everything else, but you've got to come to the standard of the gospel, of the truth of grace, of, of the, the cross. And at the same time, we know that there's messiness in the midst of all that. And it's a wonderful thing. And in the church, do we get it right all the time? No, we don't. But we embrace people at the table of grace. Do we get it right all the time? Nope, we don't. But we keep on walking the walk together. And when we get it wrong, then we say, hey, I'm sorry. I, I need your forgiveness. And then when we call each other out at times, we say, hey, I don't think you got it right, man. We need to get together at the cross. And we need to ask each other for forgiveness. And we bring each other to the foot of the cross when we know that someone doesn't have it right. And we ask each other the hard questions. And we say, I need you to come with me. And we got to get it right because what we're doing right now isn't right. And that's the beauty of the cross and the beauty of the church that we walk together and we call each other when we know that we don't have it right and then we just say hey let's get up and let's get going again together in the wonder of grace and truth let's pray hey father we thank you so much for this message it's hard but it's true it's hard when we have to call each other out when we know that we didn't measure up like Paul did to, to Peter but it's wonderful when we can know that there's grace waiting for us. And as we come to communion now, Lord, we want to know that it's because that, uh, of the, the shed blood of Christ that we can call each other out, that we can say, hey, um, I was a hypocrite. I wasn't walking the way that I should walk, but I can find the grace uh, of getting forgive, forgiveness because I know my Savior paid the price. And so, Lord, as, as we walk through the to the table of communion. Um, maybe just again be amazed at the wonder of, of a Savior who paid that incredible price on the cross. Maybe be amazed again at the grace that is there. And, and if we're right now not there, we're right now knowing that, hey, I'm, I'm being a bit of a hypocrite right now about how I'm living. May we just come to the cross and ask for your forgiveness right now. May we just come and say, Lord, um, I'm, I'm living a sinful life right this moment. I ask you to forgive me. And, and I'm being a hypocrite. And, and, and yet, I want to get it right, right now. I want to ask you to forgive me right now. And find right now, right this moment, the grace of your forgiveness, which is so amazing and so powerful and so beautiful. And Father, we thank you for the work that your son did 
on that beautiful cross of Calvary. God, you're so wonderful. Your son's so beautiful. And your spirit is so powerful. We give you thanks this morning. In Jesus' marvelous name we pray. Amen and amen. I'll turn it over to Jeremy now for communion.